DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. David joins us for his weekly interview, and it is brought to you by Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you, David? Excellent. How are you? Good. Is that friend, partner in crime of yours, your attachment, your radio partner for decades long, number one rated morning show with you this morning? Hey, how are you, PK? Great. So we were just discussing Dennis Lindsay and the off-season comments, Justin Zanuck, the two of them meeting with the media via Zoom. Welcome to the 21st century in a pandemic. So what was what was your biggest takeaway from what they just said? They want to add a perimeter defender. That was the definitive, you know, they can talk around a lot of points and not in, get into some stuff or address the portion of the question that they like and the portion they want to stay away from, they can stay away from. But I thought definitively they want to add a perimeter defender because if you don't have that, there's some guy on the other team who's going to be going off. And do you have a so do you have a feeling on the size of that perimeter defender? I sense they want someone in the six six to six nine range. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean it's it's really it's a complicated concept because I'm you know we we did give up like we gave up 40 with what felt like some regularity to guards right so that's because the guards coming off the pick and Rudy's back and these guards are becoming incredible and if they're having a good shooting night they're coming off the bounce and rising up in, in the three I mean this is just it's the evolution of the game and and these guys are amazing like they're just like that's really, I mean, it's a, you know, they're, they're incredibly talented. So I'm trying to figure out, like, is is that what we're trying to stop with a perimeter defender, or is it actually just an overall length issue across the board that would just make it harder for people to run, harder for people to make plays? And you know what? The reality is, if you've got the number one rim defender in the league, and maybe ever you're just not going to have him defending at 35 feet very often. And so that you're going to be still susceptible to people going out for 40, but if you're a little longer and you're a little bigger, then you aren't as susceptible to early action transition. And you just are a little bit better defensively in every other way. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know which is the right answer here because the six, six defender guarding Dane Willard. So it's Tory Craig, Probably can't shoot, um, or else it's an all-star. And then can he, you know, Jeremy Grant couldn't stop Donovan Mitchell. He's a pretty good defender. Torrey Craig couldn't stop Donovan Mitchell. He's getting hit by a pick. And now, um, you know, the guy's still getting the shot off, unless you're switching, unless you're going to start, you know, that's the answer. You have to switch that pick and roll. And so now Rudy's defending. Well, maybe that's okay, but then you're – then your other defender's got to be really big. And he's got to be big enough to slide down with whatever big is setting the pick. So um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I know the answer on how that defender fits and, and how that defender's used, I guess is what I'm saying. The thing that I took from their conversation was Dennis. And we have it on, obviously, on tape where he's talking about with Rudy uh, when they came back and reconvened the season and in the postseason he said that Rudy was different in that he wasn't walking up on referees complaining he wasn't calling for the lob as much and he wasn't uh, offering advice 
to players uh, as they were walking to the huddle. So it was basically an acknowledgement of the issues that they had with Gobert before, and they had been, uh, at least to some degree, if not entirely, fixed uh, going forward. Is that something that you were able to see? I know you weren't there personally, but were you aware of that and being able to see that there was a difference there? It's interesting the observation you've made on that first comment that, in a sense, by talking about the change, he's conceded to, sorry, I'm walking outside in the Bay Area and two cars actually just drove by. Um, it's interesting your comment on the first half of that, that he, by admitting the change, is in turn, you know, shared that that was an issue. Um, and I, maybe that was obvious um, to everyone already, but that's that's an interesting observation. That's why you're the sleuth reporter that, you know, once dominated the, the print bylines at Salt Lake Tribune and okay. the Orange County Breeze and the Daily Breeze and other <laughs> brilliant places along the way. The Orange um, County Breeze? You're making papers up now. Well, I know, but that's a beautiful concept, the Orange County oh, Breeze. Oh, yeah, you right? You want to experience that. <laughs> um, so it might have been called the Daily Breeze. Did you, you write for the Daily Breeze? Yes. Okay. That's not bad that I remember that, huh? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Rudy's evolving. I thought Rudy... Um, you know, he's 27, and um, I think he's learning in all aspects of life, probably, how to interact with people and get along at a different level. And, um, you know, stardom leads to different personality traits, and the pressure of stardom leads to different personality traits. And so I, I, the, the core on Rudy that I think is why everything has a chance to move forward is he's a good person, like a really good person. Um, and so his actions are driven by, you know, quest for greatness and maybe personal stardom. Um, but the core of who he is in all of this is a really outstanding, caring, good, smart person. Um, I feel very comfortable with that. I'd be um, from, and, and I, and, you know, some of the things that I, use to equate that I'll share that are probably a little insider. A lot of how he deals with some of the coaches' kids. Like, he's the favorite. Maybe not, you know, maybe that's unfair to someone else, but he's, you know, like, he's incredible with these young kids because he's, he's not as naturally selfish as it might be perceived or because he is caring and because he does have a heart. Um, and I, and he, and he does like to be loved and cared about. Um, and so I think that those, I think to me, that's a, that's an insight that I probably have that I think is important to know who he is as a person. David Locke joining us here on 97.5 and 1280, the zone, you know, one thing that they used to tell us about uh, defending, we haven't heard as much about, and this is why I think uh, that they want the bigger defender it might be easier to find a guy who's 6'3 or 6'4 who can really defend, and that'll help you in some situations. But, you know, with Dante Exum, they always used to say, even when he gets beat, he's long enough to bother the shot from a guy that's gotten past him who's had to pull up. And so mm-hmm. I assume when they want to defend an elite guard, and, okay, just say Murray just because we just saw him, as he comes around the pick, that 6'9 can probably reach up and maybe still get a piece of the shot or alter the shot. You know, Murray will defend, be aware of this Defending from behind? Running. Yeah, if necessary. Yeah, if you're going over the point. top of a pick – so that's why I thought they're looking for a bigger guy. Here's the thing. 
do they develop that guy? Is it somebody who's stashed on the bench and nobody realizes, hey, he's about ready to break out, get him now? Is it uh, where are they going to get the money if it's someone who's established who's making money? If it's a trade, who do they have to give up, and does that create a hole somewhere else on the roster? I mean, these are all questions they have to answer, and I don't know that there are any good answers to those questions. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. That's a it's a good observation. I think that's probably, you know, Mike and Donovan are are just a little are are just little. Um, though frankly, Jamal was guarded by Royce and Joe most of the time. Joe's always been able to do that. Now, at some point, Joe at thirty turns thirty three, like in about three weeks, I think. Um, you know, at some point, he loses a step, and then he's not able to do that anymore. Um, he doesn't lose the height, but he does lose the ability to stay close enough. Um, and maybe there's some acknowledgement, you know, I think, I think there's a, gotta be a question. What's fair to ask of Joe at 33, um, as he evolves and and moves to to the, you know, 33 is kind of a magic number in this league. Um, now these guys are all in such great shape and they've all gotten better. The guys have exceeded, some guys have exceeded that, um, but that's usually a drop. Now, Joe's unique in the sense that he has not played as much NBA basketball and maybe doesn't have as many minutes. Um, for those that are out there thinking to themselves, well, Joe's not an athlete, so if he loses a step, it doesn't matter. I actually believe 100% the other way. That players that aren't elite athletes, I, first two things I think is that Joe's actually a much better athlete than anyone gives him credit. Um, and two, that the, those that are that there's a spectrum by which you can be an NBA player. And if you slip out of that spectrum, it's over. That's what happened to Memo, happened to Boozer. I mean, those are guys whose careers ended pretty fast. Um, so I think there's a level or maybe that also that defenders to relieve some of that burden on Joe. We, uh, Joe's our, you know, our second most likely guy to be guarding a primary offensive player. I'm not sure that's something that's fair to ask him at 33 and beyond. Have we seen that the ball needs to be in Donovan's hands more? think so um i you know i don't know that um i don't know i don't know we want to change who we are as a team right we're one of the three teams in the nba that had a thousand pick and rolls coming from three different guys so we had ingles conley and donovan oklahoma city had chris paul uh shea gilgis alexander and dennis schroeder those were the only teams that had that in the league i'm not sure we want to change that um but I think it's clear that Donovan is the you know at six one and now seeing the ball floor a little bit better and evolving, um, and with the way the game is changing, you know, um, is the primary ball handler. Um, you know, he's you know Kemba's always been a point guard, but you know there, there's plenty of guys that kind of score a lot. As the Kyle Lowry, um, you know, Donovan and Kyle Lowry are probably closer in. And who they are. Uh, if you remember, Lowry was at Villanova with three guys and didn't handle a great deal and really had to evolve into a point guard and into his NBA career is pretty special now. So, uh, yeah, I think he I think he has to become the primary ball handler. I, I don't have it in front of me. Um, I think he went from, you know, like 36% of his time in the regular season as a point guard up from like 24% last year up to like 46 this year. I'm making these up, but it's, the concept's right. So I would expect that's up at 60-something. And, and then Mike and Joe or the other ball handlers, and depending on the time of the game, um, either collectively or not. I don't know. So, 
I thought that that is going to be the way things trend in the fourth quarter in the playoffs, but to avoid wearing him out, I thought that Joe and Mike would still run a lot of pick and rolls, but the Jazz would end up looking very – in the first three quarters, that whoever runs it might be hunting uh, you know, the worst defender on the other team, kind of keep the mileage off of Donovan a little bit, but then in fourth quarters of competitive games and in the playoffs, Donovan, 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 Donovan. A steady dose of Donovan. <laughs> so you're pretty good today. You must have like watched this league for like 30 years and covered it for like a long time. Um, I think that's again another great point. I do think we're forgetting we have Boyan Bogdanovich, right? So you know part of the reason why Donovan had the ball in his hand so much and had such a huge usage burden in the playoffs is we were missing our second leading scorer, scores 20 points a game. Um, so there's an element where I think that by definition relieves some of that burden on him. Um, I think the most interesting one to me, actually, in some of this conversation is what position does Boyan Bogdanovich play next year? Right? So he was a four for us this year, which worked pretty well. If you slide him to a three, we get big fast. Right? So if that, is, that defender's actually a, a type of a four, right? So it's a six, eight instead of a six, nine. You can play him anywhere between two through four. Um, we just got really big. Right? Now we're. Now we're, instead of being a little inch or too short on every position, we're actually an inch or too big at every position. Um, and then that impacts who your ball handlers are and who's on the floor. Joe um, and Boyan on the floor together was not a great mix this year. Um, it's worth noting, by the way, I mean, it worked in the playoffs, and this is a great tribute to Donald. When Donald was on the floor without Mike Conley and Joe Ingles in the regular season, I think we were about negative three. So, that, I mean, I think he took a step during the playoffs, but it's just this bigger question of like how you involve, how you evaluate bubble ball and how many decisions you're willing to make off what you saw in a bubble, particularly when the first eight seeding games were unique in their own right and then the next set of games were only against one opponent. And so, you know, had Donovan being enveloped by Kawhi Leonard or Paul George would and had struggled, would we you know, would we be as confident that he's the sole ball handler? And he did have like nine turnovers in the last game. So I don't, I, you know, I think it's the presiding feeling that he's going to have the ball in his hands more. I'm not, I'm not convinced that that's as going to be as easy a transition as everyone thinks it is. So if bogey is the three is the four on the roster. Probably not under that circumstance. I can't think of who it would be. I mean, part of the reason bogey played the four was because we needed, you know, Joe played Joe, 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 they didn't really want to have play the four because they thought it would wear him down. And I think they're right. And they were conscious of having Royce guard some of the four so that Boyan wasn't worn down during the year. And they're right. Um, so the only question, yeah, I don't think, I don't think that um, the four would be on the roster at this point if, that, um, if you're going that direction. So if you're going to come up with uh, money to get someone who's really pretty good, who's going to play the four and play a lot of minutes, uh, if they don't sign Clarkson, um, could they move Ed Davis, who has another year left at $5 million? There are no other obvious moves to make without creating another hole. I mean, obviously you could move one of the other guys, but that just you know, then you miss what that guy's bringing you. Uh, there are no other obvious moves there. So how do you solve that dilemma? Yeah, I mean, I think you just touched on it. Um, again, I, um, I'm not sure why I'm on this show other than just to be the, you know, 
the sounding board for David James's brilliant ideas today. Um, Me too, for that matter. Uh, right. I mean, PK, you've made a living off it. Um, so <laughs> everyone thinks it's the opposite. Everyone thinks it's this DJ is the sounding board for PK's brilliance. But maybe, big mystery, yeah. more tonight on right. two. Oh, I know. Right. I know it. I know. Uh, actually, it w- that would have to be a much longer deep dive, so that would be more tonight at 1030 on KMYU. There you go. Um, <laughs> a kid. <laughs> um, so, um, it's all high school uh, football tonight, though, David, as you well know. Oh, did I hear fall. that we had a high school football game canceled because of COVID? We've had a couple. Had a couple. Yeah, oh, maybe maybe more than a couple, but yeah, a handful. We'll leave it at that. Oh, oh. I know well, that Weaver, not, Weaver Bingham. Are they not, an, Weaver are they not announcing why they're getting canceled? No, Weaver Bingham week one was because of COVID, and then there was a Cypress game. Uh, and there may have been a couple others, but those are just that, – that jumps out at me. Most of them – the, oh. the vast majority have been played. Oh, it's good. No, I'm interested. We're all getting new data points every day, right? It's pretty interesting, right? The NFL just went off yesterday. And outdoors is safer than indoors, David. Mask yep. up. Seems to be the case. I'm, I'm in Northern California right now. They're, everyone's masked up. Hmm. Um, That's just either because of the, the air or because of the yeah, – yeah, either because of the air or because of COVID. Um, you know, how do you find that big – um, uh, I think it's complicated, right? I, I, um, yeah, if you're doing it through free agency, you're doing it in a manner that you're doing it without Jordan Clarkson on your roster, so that's painful. Um, if you're doing it via trade, then as it's, you know, as everyone likes to do unless they're playing fantasy, you're actually giving up something of value. They talked about extending the bench, too. Uh, is there anybody there? that you think is immediately worthy that can step in and whether it's uh, rotation spot seven or eight, whatever it might be that they've got somebody or somebody's in mind who can do that. I think that having a bench is going to be really almost impossible. So like if you're paying Mike 30 and you're paying Rudy 30 and then Donovan's extension doesn't kick in for a year or does it kick in right away? I'd have to look at the cap on that. I'm I'm looking Donovan's committed for the next year at five point two million. Okay, so you're fine. Right, but like Conley's at thirty, Rudy's at thirty. What's boy if you have in front of you Boyan's I do. So so Conley is at thirty four and a half. Gobert's okay, at twenty six and a half. So And then he signs an extension. That's sixty one, but it'll kick in the next year. So that's okay. sixty one. You throw Bogdanovich in, he's at almost eighteen. So, so that's, that's 79, eight, 79 eight. Yeah. million. Joe Ingles. is about just a shade under 11. So now you're right. at 90 million for four guys. And Royce is at eight, right? Yes. Okay, so you're at 100 million on five guys, six guys, five guys. Yeah. You know what I, your, bench has got? your bench has got to be minimum players. So I think what PK is getting at is are you buying Mieoni? Are you buying Jawan yeah, I mean, Morgan, Rajon Tucker? Are any of these guys going to make the leap in the next step? The way we've seen Royce O'Neal turn himself from a million-dollar player into an 8 or $9 million player. So I think that's, you know, to the credit of this organization and the, the front office and the coaching staff and the combined effort, I think we've been able to do that, and we better be able to do it again. You know, are we going to be able to find somebody in Europe um, which is a funky game because Europe basketball is a little weird. So our scouting over there better be, you know, Richard Smith leads that, and it better be incredible right now because it's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and then can you find a draft pick um, at 23 or whatever we're drafting that maybe fits that a little bit? And then is there someone, you know, that you're scouting? Is, I mean, this you're going to find out who's good scouting this year. Like, 
I'll always forever look at the 2020 NBA draft. And those front offices that had a good day are the ones that were ahead of the game, right? That weren't waiting on workouts, that weren't waiting on the last second, but they were ahead of the game. That's the signature of, of who Dennis Lindsay's always been is the, the massive preparation and, and the work that he puts in with his group. And so this is a time for them to shine with their advanced preparation and being ahead of the game because this is where you get rewarded. Um, but I do think that, you know, Mia One and Jarrell Brantley and Rajon Tucker and um, Jawan Morgan are going to have to be that bench unit that's been extended. And they've done a nice job with the G League in finding those players. And now it's going to be an interesting step to see, you know, they're all older. They all played a lot of college. They all should advance faster. Um, but they're all second-round draft picks, right? So if they were if they were brilliant elite-level talent, they wouldn't have been there at 50-whatever on the draft board. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, so, they're, you know, it's interesting. Darrell Brantley is the one that's most interesting to me. His skill set is just is unique and different than what a player that's in the size is different and unique. And so trying to figure out how to use him, I – I'd be curious to see whether or not, and I don't know how you ever try this out and trying something out strange with a bench player is kind of contrary. It's why those type of players actually don't make it in the league because no one's going to do this. But I'd be curious to let him play center and have him handle the ball. Almost like a mini Draymond Green off the bench and you just switch one through five for the eight minutes of your bench unit and and see what happens. He's 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 real. He's, I don't know if he's special enough to do that though. Like why would you, you know, why would you flip your entire style of play for six minutes because of your ninth guy? It's a stupid concept for me, but you know, in a vacuum, I'd be interested in seeing that, but I, and they did it frankly in the seeding games, they had him handle the ball and they, they did, they didn't play him at the five, they played him at the four, but you know, I'd be curious to see him with the five as a mini Draymond green type where we just invert the offense and, and have him go and lead it, and then multiple other ball handlers on the floor. Um, because that's what his strengths are now. You know, the concern on that, I'm sorry, I'm babbling a lot of time on Jarrell Brantley, but it, it's the Julius Randle rule, where Julius Randle's a nice player and does a lot of unique things for a player that size. And I once had a scout said to me, it's great that he does all those unique things, and it's super that he's got all these you know skills that are unusual for a 6'9 guy, but there's somebody on your roster who should be doing every single one of those things other than Julius Randle and does them better. And so every time he's doing it, somebody else should be, and that might be the case too with Jarrell Brantley. So that's the kind of thing that you would normally try in November and December, except uh, <clears throat> this season we might not have basketball in November and December. Have you heard anything as far as, hey, they're going to start this you know, a week before Christmas, or they're going to start this a week before MLK Day, or they're going to start this at some other point? Do you know when the next well, season is starting? Adam, didn't Adam come out yesterday? I saw him with the draft probably in November. So I saw a Bleacher Report story that we wouldn't be starting any earlier than Christmas. I thought that was off an Adam Silver quote. All right. I will hunt that down. Yeah, Um, it's there. I saw it too. So wouldn't be starting earlier than Christmas, but I I don't think we're starting at Christmas. I mean, but but I don't understand. So let's, let's be just totally clear now okay the bubble is for the bubble has been successful and it was for a lot of reasons and it, it's been really great the, the next decisions are about money like the bubble may have also been about money largely about money it was also about finishing the season it's also getting back to normalcy the president pushed the professional sport leagues to go got them all the tests they needed um 
you know, there were a lot of factors, you know, get the league back, not cancel an entire season, not have a salary cap. Like this next one's about like getting financially viable, um, which means having some sort of fans in the stands. Now, is that 5,000 people in visit arena? And, and I'm actually a believer um, that with that ratcheted up demand that many teams could probably still get close to, I don't know, 60, 80% of their gate with 30% of their 20% of their fans. Um, but I think that, you know, assume that the arena has 5,000 people in it. How can we do that? Is there going to be a mechanism to do that in January or February that is different than in December? To me, I, I haven't seen that yet. It's why I actually think all these data points are so important right now. The fact that Major League Baseball is traveling across the country right now and seemingly has the COVID breakouts under control. The NFL is about to travel. Okay, well, then let's see. Um, I thought Dennis Lindsay had, and and then Baxter Holmes wrote an article that you know maybe you're going to actually just to try to limit travel in this environment and help players. Maybe you're going to put four teams in a little area for a time, and they're going to go play three games. Um, in some different way, but that would that would not help your revenue because then not everyone's getting home games. So I, I don't know. Um, our start date is going to be predicated on when it's best to get fans in the building. And I don't know why that's different, frankly, in January, February, or March. But um, if it is, then that's when we'll start. David, we appreciate the time. we got to run, but thanks for coming on with us. You are really on your game today. I mean, like, it reminds me of the late, great Tom Nasalki, who used to say, like, when a guy comes in the league, his body will perform 78 out of 82 games, like he's at his peak. And then as he gets older and really on the downside of his career, that every now and then, like, you know, they'll find it again. That's the day where they go put up their 34 or their 36 points um, because they know their body's right that day and they know it might not be for long. It's kind of your aging stage where you are with your brain. Like, that must feel great to be back at your peak today. I was blood doping with Lance Armstrong. I feel great. Okay. All right. Good. Don't see why not. Gross. <laughs> Thank you, David. See ya. All right. When we come back, we're talking BYU football. Brian Kill, 55-3. to Did he see that coming? What are they going to do against Army? We'll talk with him next. Stay with us. Let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. From that defensive line at BYU, Bracken Elbakery, kind enough to join us. What are your expectations for this year? I mean, you set the bar really high after game one. Is it 8-0? Oh, yeah, and hopefully more than 8, right? Well, hopefully yeah, we get right. even more yeah. games. We want to play a full season, and, and I know Tom's really working hard to get us a full season, so I think you can hope for more than 8. Is that kind of where your mindset is? Like maybe there's some extra games tagged onto the back of it. Or has it been left open-ended like that by administration? Yeah, I think, and I can't speak for them because obviously I'm, you'll have to ask them themselves, but the feeling that I get is that we're going to play more than eight games, hopefully, and, and get a full schedule by the end of this thing. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network.
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It is a weird year. It is a weird football season. And one of the things that happens in a weird football season, PK, yes. is that I sit down at 11.30 in the morning to watch Louisiana Monroe play football. That's weird. But Army's playing Louisiana Monroe, and BYU's playing Army. So how good is Army? Absolutely. LMU. Yeah, ULM. <laughs> LMU. Lola Marymount. Go Lions. Albert Gersten Pavilion. Hello. Uh, how good is Army? Uh, they just smoked Middle Tennessee State, and I've watched one Middle Tennessee State game ever before then, so I don't know how good Middle Tennessee State is. BYU played them a few years ago, so. Yeah, they did. Well, right now, Army's one of the better teams in the country. <laughs> right? They're 1-0. Rank them. <laughs> It was easy. They, they ran the option. They went up and down the field. It was a piece of cake. They ran uh, – they had the – I forget the name of the kid now. I can look it up. But the same kid scored three touchdowns, and they were like one, two, and four yarders. It was simple. We know what we're doing. You know what you're doing, and you can't stop us. So I don't know what that says for Army. I'm assuming that BYU is several levels better than, uh, than Middle Tennessee, and Army several levels better. So what does this mean? kind of feel like Army's going to smoke Louisiana Monroe, and I'm still not going to know going into the BYU-Army game Yeah, that really doesn't matter. I get your point. I get your point 100%. That doesn't matter. But for the Cougars here, for the teams that are playing, particularly for the non-Power 5 teams, and BYU's sort of in that gray area there, we know that. But if they come out and they got the bye tomorrow, what's today, Friday? So they got the bye tomorrow. So they come out next week and really smoke these guys, they're going to grab some attention that they normally wouldn't get. Now, maybe they would have gotten it if they would have beaten uh, Utah and three. ASU and Michigan State yeah, and on down the line. Right. right. So they probably would have gotten it either way uh, in that way. But you can argue going 3-0 and under those circumstances with two of those games away, although the Rice-Eccles, the Bellover Stadium really doesn't matter. Uh, but they would uh, they would have gone to Tempe and get Michigan State at home with a new coach. You have to like their chances in that second game. Uh, the first game, dicey. Uh, third game in Tempe, uh, maybe somewhat dicey, but not as dicey as Utah's. Uh, so, uh, but nevertheless, that's not the way it is. If they go ahead and really pound Army, they'll get some run. So in that way, in terms of getting your name back out there, that's a big game for them, especially because then, as far as brand name programs uh, save Houston, it really tails off. Yes. And you look at Army's schedule, Army will be excited for BYU for the same reason BYU will be excited for Army. Army doesn't have a lot of big names on their schedule. Obviously, they got Navy at the end of the season. The Air Force game is still scheduled for November. But when you're looking at September and October, BYU is clearly the big game. Abilene, Christian, the Citadel, UTSA, at Cincinnati, maybe. If, uh, if, Cincinnati's not bad. Yeah, I don't know where Cincinnati sticks up in the, or stacks up in the AAC. If they're one of the better teams in the AAC, then that would be right there with BYU as a big game. Well, the they fact, have been with the new coach, Fickle. Yeah, so that... That will you're right. That that should be a big game. Cincinnati should be good. 
Well, in, in the world we live in, if you're playing Cincinnati, that's a big game. Right, because you're not getting anything out of the SEC because they won't play uh, non-conference right. games. And they didn't get anything. I don't know what kind of shot they had, but they didn't get anything out of the ACC or the Big 12. So, Well, given the fact that it's a service academy and the service academies play each other all the time and you beat one of the service academy teams 55-3. to You got their attention, that- baby. <laughs> screams it man you cannot make a statement louder than that right well we know uh, we were talking it's labor day and so college football fans everywhere are going to be turning the game on and watching and of course army was checking out navy to see what they were doing obviously well yes the fact that it's a service academy opponent and then you follow it up with another one and those teams play each other, and we've heard Fisher DeBerry for a thousand years talk about how that commander-in-chief trophy that yep. they would play for was very, very important. We understand that, even if we don't follow the military academies or have never served a day in the military. Uh, so that's the reality of the situation there. And you have screamed to Army, you better be on your game. Yeah, I'm excited for this game. My wife says to me, how come Channel 2, man, they keep advertising that game? And I had to explain the whole SEC and the window and starting the following week and blah, blah, blah. Now it's a real big deal for them to get BYU here locally. So, of course, they're going to advertise it, draw people to their television station. Uh, It's a business after all. So, yeah, it sets up nicely. And that was still eight days away. And the new world has gotten an excitement for me in that game because I don't have anything else to get excited about locally. And I'm assuming Army's going to provide some level of competition. Maybe I'm wrong, but for the Cougars, man, right now here locally, they're the talk of the town. I was with a friend of mine yesterday, and he says he hasn't asked me a whole lot of college football questions, but he says to me yesterday, man, did you watch that? And he knew, he, he knew I watched it, but... He just said, did you watch that game, or what did you think of the game? I forget how he phrased it. But clearly he wanted to talk about it because he didn't see that coming, and he's a knowledgeable sports fan, played a little football in his day, and so he's talking about it. And I think folks are talking about it. And if you back it up with another butt kicking, they're going to talk about it even more. Another 55-3 to three seems impossible. I'll take, I'll take three or four touchdowns. But if they if the offensive line shoves around an undersized defensive line the way they did against Navy, maybe they will. Maybe they'll just run the ball all day long. It's it, it really is, you know, the missing link. What has changed in BYU football between now and twenty years ago? It's easy to say, well, they had a bunch of NFL quarterbacks. In an era when a lot of teams are running the option and running the wishbone, you know, there were a limited number of schools competing for quarterbacks who could throw the ball. Now everybody except for a couple service academies maybe, Uh, everybody's trying to throw the ball, and you're just not going to have an NFL quarterback backing up an NFL quarterback on a college roster unless you're Oklahoma. And even then, we saw last year, how many elite schools? I mean, Ohio State had a quarterback transfer, right? Everybody. You just don't get that anymore. The game has changed. In and out. Right. The other thing that has changed, though, is that BYU used to be loaded with NFL linemen. Like they had a dozen guys drafted in a dozen years, so obviously you're going to have two or three of them playing at a time, and a fourth guy probably on the roster, maybe the young guy's playing, maybe he isn't. But the point is you usually had a big advantage in the offensive line because you had NFL guys. Well, you haven't had NFL guys in the last 20 years very often. You've had a couple. 
uh, but you haven't had very many. And so this line's different. And if this is going to lead to more recruits, they're like, you know, in the same way if you're a defensive lineman or a defensive back, right? So a defensive back in California say, I know if I go to the Utah, I get to NFL. If you build that kind of rep, that's awesome. It's not just awesome for this, awesome for this year. It's awesome going forward. Is BYU going to have an edge in, off, in the offensive line most weeks? Because if you do, everything gets simpler. Everybody looks better. Yeah, I think it's more than that. I think you have to look at the fact that for the first time in a while, they've had stability in the offensive coaches because they went through a number of changes towards the end of Broncos years, and then obviously they changed over and with Kalani, and we know what happened, and they made a change again, yes. uh, a significant change two years into it. Well, now you've got guys who've been there for three years. So, right? and, and they have, they're coaching the talent that's been there for three years. And I, I think, think that is a significant factor. I think that's a big factor, and I would double down on it by saying some point with Robert and I leaving and coming back a second time, and you might have a better grasp on the dates. But I remember there was this uh, thing where BYU, instead of having these big, massive linemen, went on a smaller, quicker linemen. But then they, went back, they wanted to go back to the big, massive linemen. Well, first off, that's always slow in recruiting, right? Because you're recruiting the high school junior, and you know by the time he's a college junior, he can really or sophomore junior, he can be dominating. We well, got three or four years, but when you factor in missions, well, then it's even longer. And so I think that was a big setback. And if they know what they want, they're recruiting what they want, and the same guys are there coaching them up. Now you got a chance to get a little momentum instead of switching in and out of what you're even trying to recruit. I actually would look at the, as far as the recruiting goes. I think BYU basically gets who they get. So I don't think that's that big of a deal. Well, come to BYU and you can play if you're an offensive lineman playing the NFL. Because there's, BYU has a very small pool of recruits. So you have to look in this dry period that you refer to many times over as far as lack of NFL guys. How many LDS guys have made the NFL out of offensive line. Now, there have been a few. There have been some, and they haven't gotten them. Uh, uh, Sufele from local kid, I think he went to Timview, went down to UC Los Angeles, and then Garrett Bowles came up to Utah. And the problem there is that's Pac-12, and you're not Pac-12. Yeah. And you can, no matter what you do, you're not Pac-12, and they are. You're not going so to the Rose Bowl. Going to, that's going to be an issue. If they put all every offensive lineman who starts a game this year plays in the NFL, that's still an issue. And and one of your starters, a three-year starter, the only reason why you got James Empey is because Kalani hired his father. He was committed to Utah. Aha! Pac-12. Pac-12, baby. And he's so one of that the, is the big issue. He's one of the four guys who the NFL is looking is. at. Right. I think he'll play in the NFL. He's he redshirted because he got home from a mission, and then he started from day one, to the point where the Mich- Western Michigan coach singles him out in the post game. I got to admit, when I watch football, I follow the football. <laughs> so yeah. I don't follow. You know, if you run a QB sneak or you run up the middle, well, then I can see. Well, the other night, I could see what the offensive line was doing because the holes were massive. Anybody can see that. But when you're throwing it and doing other things and whatnot and you're running sweeps or whatever it may be, fly sweeps, I'm following the football. 
I'm not following the interior lineman. Well, that Western Michigan coach was following it, and he singles out James Empey in the postgame. Well, never forget that that kid was committed to go to the Pac-12. A local kid down the street, his dad played at BYU, his dad had previously coached to BYU, but he was going to go to the Pac-12. So it doesn't really matter in that sense because BYU, to a large degree, is fighting, certainly they're fighting a battle that they never had to fight before when you go back 20 years. And now it's somewhat of an uphill battle. They've still got to fight it, but it's awfully difficult. So I don't know how much of a difference it would make in recruiting because at the same time, if it made a big difference that they weren't getting offensive linemen, then how in the heck did they get these guys in the first place now? Well, we know with the MP connection how they did it. Uh, I don't know the other guys' backstories. Have to uh, check all that out. But we got to go to break right now. Stay with us. DJ and PK. Joe Ingles is coming up at 9.05. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good news, PK. Yeah, what? Rocky Mountain Power working around the clock. I woke up this morning and we had electricity. And my wife, my wife, my wife says the uh, the crew arrived at three thirty one in the morning. It woke her up with the with the lights. They're on the next street over, but the the lights were lighting up the whole neighborhood. The yellow lights spinning around and all that. And uh, the electricity came on at 427. So Rocky Mountain Power is legitimately working through the night. And I know that's not good enough for you if you don't have your power back. Last night it was still 50,000 people. I don't know what it is this morning. Uh, but uh, Jake, uh, Jake Scott is in here, and uh, his neighborhood, the power is still out. So, Oh, it's on Jake Scott's neighborhood? Well, that's good. <laughs> why, why is that good? <laughs> Because it's Jake Scott. <laughs> you just want Jake Scott to get screwed over? Yeah, I mean, I, I could have it everybody else, but just his house would be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> that seems a little uh, uh, a little harsh. Oh, no, it's, <laughs> hey, he roots against the Sun Devils, so it's payback. This is karma. I've been waiting all this time. Uh, funny thing about this is that uh, the uh, the PR stuff on social media the uh, remember Ryan Spencer Hall wrote uh, for KSL.com, did Utah jazz stuff and wrote for a blog before that and all that. He does a PR now. So a guy I used to follow for jazz stuff, I'm now following to get all my power updates. So go figure. Small oh, world. Power updates. Yeah. It's a small world after all. Yeah, sing it. All right, coming up next, a guy who came from the other side of that small world to play basketball here in Utah, Joe Ingles, joining us next post bubble. I'll bet Joe, Joe has some funny stuff to say about that. Joe Ingles, next.